This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Majority Report, The Matthew Filipovich Show, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Jimmy Dore Show, The Young Turks, and Comedian Lee Camp with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from Countdown with Keith Olbermann. The city was in violation of a court injunction from evicting the occupiers at uh, what is formerly known as Zuccotti Park, now Liberty Square, from uh, their occupation. Uh, We spoke about that extensively yesterday. We were anticipating a court uh, order as of 3 p.m. It didn't come in until about 5 p.m. And the court ruled in favor of, I guess it's uh, accurate to say, in favor of the city and uh, the owners of Zuccotti Park. The relevant part of the of the decision from Judge Michael Stallman read in part, uh, to the extent that city law prohibits the erection of structures, the use of gas or other combustible materials, and the accumulation of garbage and human waste in public places. Enforcement of the law and the owner's rules appear reasonable to permit the owner to maintain its space in a hygienic, safe, and lawful condition and prevent it from being liable by the city or others for violations of law or in tort. It also permits public access by those who live and the work in the area who are intended beneficiaries of this zoning bonus. So it basically came down to tents. Uh, not allowed to put up tents, which supposedly permanent structures. Of course, uh, I think it was a uh, National Lawyers Guild member who uh, said, well, the idea of them being permanent, sort of sort of moot, they were torn down. Uh, they're not, you know, the idea that you can actually take them down means that they're not permanent. So uh, it's unclear at this point what legal action is going to follow. Um, people did sleep in the park last night. Not many, but uh, some, according to uh, the New York Times. Uh, there were a few dozen uh, protesters who remained in the park. They slept sitting up or didn't sleep at all, uh, but they stayed in the park over the, the uh, through the night at Judson Memorial Church across the street from Washington Square Park. Sixty protesters were sprawled out on blankets in the church lower parish hall, it's according to a volunteer there. Uh, there was no uh, any type of uh, friction last night. Um, as far as we know, at uh, at the park. And there was a massive General Assembly last night uh, in the park and uh, was rather inspirational. I mean, I, I have said for quite some time that the occupation was incredibly important to maintain and qualified really only by the idea that if it's not if it's not allowed, uh, it's not a question of the occupiers all sort of quitting and uh, losing their um, their determination 
they are figuring a way to occupy the park within the restrictions that have been imposed upon them. I think there are further legal questions to be answered here as to whether or not the idea of a 24-hour occupation of a space is not free speech. This is not being done recreationally. That is not the primary purpose of it. It is to to send a message. It seems to me it's just as obvious that occupying a space and everything it takes to do that over the course of 24 hours or an extended period of time should be just as legally protected as money is as a form of speech. Because money, uh, my understanding is, and we'll get somebody on maybe to talk about these legal issues tomorrow, but if money is a mechanism in which to provide its uh, spender speech, I don't understand how a tent is not facilitating that same uh, desire to send a political message. But uh, maybe, there, maybe there's an attorney who can set me straight, or maybe this is an issue that, uh, that needs to be resolved. There was a statement put out by uh, OccupyWallStreet.org, and this came uh, yesterday before the, the final ruling by the judge. But it went on to say, a massive police force is presently evicting Liberty Square, home of the Occupy Wall Street for the past two months, and the birthplace of the 99% movement that has spread across the country and around the world. The raid started just after 1 a.m. Supporters and allies are mobilizing throughout the city, presently converging at Foley Square. Supporters are planning public actions for the coming days, including occupation actions. Two months ago, a few hundred New Yorkers set up an encampment at the doorstep of Wall Street. Since then, Occupy Wall Street has become a national and even an international symbol, with similarly styled occupations popping up in cities and towns across America and around the world. A growing popular movement has significantly altered the national narrative about our economy, our democracy, and our future. Americans are talking about the consolidation of wealth and power in our society and the stranglehold that the top 1% have over our political system. More and more Americans are seeing the crises of our economy and our democracy as systemic problems that require collective action to remedy. More and more Americans are identifying as part of the 99% and saying enough. This burgeoning movement is more than a protest, more than an occupation, and more than any tactic. The us in the movement is far broader than those who are able to participate in physical occupation. The movement is everyone who sends supplies, everyone who talks to their friends and families about the underlying issues, everyone who takes some form of action to get involved in this civic process. This moment is nothing short of America rediscovering the strength we hold when we come together as citizens to take action to address crises that impact all of us. Such a movement cannot be evicted. 
Some politicians may physically remove us from public spaces, our spaces, and physically they may succeed. But we are engaged in a battle over ideas. Our idea is that our political structures should serve us, the people, all of us, not just those of us who have amassed great wealth and power. We believe that is a highly popular idea, and that is why so many people have come so quickly to identify with Occupy Wall Street and the 99% movement. You cannot evict an idea whose time has come. Let's talk about the court ruling itself. Um, there's one line in Judge McIntyre's ruling that is, frankly, it's insane. Um, it, it is, it is, it is insane. It's crazy. I, I can't believe that it's in it. But here we go. I'm going to read it to you right now. Here's quote, uh, quoting from the ruling uh, against Occupy Boston. Judge McIntyre wrote, "Little in the way of expression is outlawed under the United States Constitution." All right, that starts out good, right? You know, you, you don't want things outlawed. Uh, you don't want speech outlawed, right? That starts out good, but it, it gets bad. So, little in the way of expression is outlawed under the United States Constitution. But, here's where it gets bad. But, an act which incites a lawful, forceful response is unlikely to pass as expressive speech. You heard me right. Did, did, you, did you hear it? I'll read it again in case you missed it. An act which incites a lawful, forceful response is unlikely to pass as expressive speech. Are you friggin' kidding me? Are you seriously, Judge? Seriously? Do you all understand what she just said? Do you understand what this judge just said? This judge apparently is happy to leave the right of free speech and assembly up to individual police discretion. That is what, that is what she's essentially saying here. That is what she's saying. According to this judge, according to this judge, if the police forcefully respond to your speech, it is not protected by the First Amendment. It is up to police discretion. It's up, that, that is what she's saying. That is what this judge is saying. The judge says, if the, 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 the judge is saying that the police can decide what and when 
and if you're allowed to speak at all, essentially. So, 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 so take it. So if the pepper spray, if the, sorry, if the police, if the police pepper spray you, if the police beat you with batons, if you, they do that, clearly, clearly that speech you were trying to do, that's not protected. If they pepper spray you, if they arrest you, if they beat you with batons, that speech is not protested because the police stopped you from doing it. Because if it was, if it was protected speech, if it was protected speech, well then the police wouldn't be beating you. The police wouldn't be arresting you if your speech were protected it's up to the police to decide what and when you can speak you know a writer a writer for the boston phoenix uh in response to to that exact to that exact thing actually uh posted a picture of a uh, of uh, a statue that i've actually never seen in in birmingham alabama it's a statue commemorating uh a famous civil rights moment and photo i've seen the photo before um the, the statue is actually inspired uh by this this the famous photo i'm sure you've probably seen it it's iconic where this uh, this white police officer is literally uh sicking a a dog on a, on a black protester uh in the 60s um you know it, it's it's an amazing statue and an amazing iconic photo uh so i guess I guess, Judge McIntyre, I guess, Judge McIntyre, what you're saying is that white police officer who, who, you know, there's a, he's, he's sicking a dog on him. So that white police officer who forcibly responded to that civil rights protester by sicking a dog on him, by having a dog attack him, technically, technically, that civil rights protester didn't have the First Amendment right to, to march didn't have the First Amendment right to protest because, because if he did, if he did have that right, then that police officer wouldn't have sicked the dog on him. It is, it, what, seriously, what crazy authoritarian mindset does this judge have? It is sickening and frankly shocking that this person is on a friggin' bench. She concluded, she concluded in the ruling that quote, that quote, the act of occupation this court has determined as a matter of law is not speech. That's what she concluded. Occupations are not speech. It's like Bill Hicks said. Uh, it's like Bill Hicks said. You have the freedom to do what we tell you. That's what we have the freedom to do, people. That... Look, there is no way, there is no way that you can look at the Occupy movement and say that it is not political speech. There's no, well, I mean, I guess you can. I mean, you can. This crazy-ass judge did it. She just did it. She just did it. She just said it's not speech. She just said occupations aren't speech. But if you do, you are friggin' kidding yourself. You are friggin' kidding yourself. Occupation, occupations aren't political speech. They're not political speech. Are you kidding me? I don't know if you saw this, Justice McIntyre. I don't know if you actually saw this, but President Barack Obama just gave an economic speech that, frankly, was full full of the rhetoric of Occupy Wall Street. It was full of the rhetoric of the 99%. It was a fiery economic populist speech. All right, I'm going to tell you. Oh, calm down everybody. I didn't really buy the speech. I'm going to be I'm going to be frank with you. I didn't buy Obama's speech. I really didn't believe the speech. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh but but the fact that Obama actually gave that speech. The fact that Obama was forced to give that speech 
is a victory for the political movement that is Occupy Wall Street. The political movement that is the Occupy movement. The fact, the fact is, because of Occupy, the president now has to talk about economic inequality. The fact that, he, that, he, that he's not pitching, still pitching to cut more programs. The fact that he's not talking about austerity, which he was doing, you know, a friggin' month ago. That is a victory for the Occupy movement. But are you seriously telling me? Are you seriously telling me that that's not political speech? We influence the friggin' president of the United States of America, and this isn't political speech? Are you out of your friggin' mind? And look, you know, look, you know, the, the Obama speech, it was a good speech. It was a good speech, but, Ob you know, I've never said Obama. I've never been one to say, God, Obama, the problem with Obama, he just doesn't know how to give a good speech. That's not Obama's problem. The problem is, I just don't believe President Obama anymore. You know, I mean, for right now, right now what it is, it's a shift in rhetoric. It's a shift in rhetoric. And, 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 and you know, at the moment, there is no shift in policy. Um, you know, he has hasn't he hasn't outlined uh, or proposed any any new policies or any real shift in policies or legislation that would actually benefit the 99%. Yeah, you know that's that, that you know it's a simple truth. I mean, if he really if the president really wanted to get people back on his side and really, you know, wanted to say that he's serious of working for the 99%, I guess he would have ended the speech by, you know, I, I he, for me, he could have ended the speech by saying, "My fellow Americans, I'm ending the speech today by publicly firing Tim Geithner and Bill Daly." And the Prosecutions of Wall Street criminals begins now. Thank you. Good night. I mean that that would be that would be change that I could believe in, frankly, personally. But but look, uh, you know, uh, it was a good speech. It was a, you know it was perfectly perfectly good fiery populist speech. But uh, but yeah, again, I don't buy it. But look, look the, I will say this though: Is it a good thing that the president is talking about economic inequality? Instead of talking about austerity, is that a good thing? You are goddamn right it's a good thing. You are goddamn right. That's not a good thing. That is a great thing. The Occupy movement has shifted, has shifted the political talk that's going on in D.C. right now. And if, even if it's just talk, the fact that the talk has been shifted is an insane victory for the Occupy movement. The fact that the president had to give that speech, and that's what the president's going to have to campaign on, even if, you know, most likely he doesn't actually live up to the speech, the fact that the speech is being made is actually a really good thing and is a major victory. You know, he's only talking about it because Occupy made him talk about it. But, but according to the judge... According to the judge, Judge McIntyre, occupations aren't protected speech. This thing that they, that these, these protesters just did that made the president give that speech, that's not protected speech. Again, again, according to the courts, money is speech. Money is speech. Corporations can spend unlimited amounts of money buying and corrupting our political system, but you, you little person, you little person down there, you, you can't put a tent in a park to protest that corruption, to protest that buying of our system. You can't do that, but they can. Because, because occupations aren't speech. The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. 
By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. So let's let's here's uh, Senator John Kyle. Uh, here's what he had to say about the people from uh, Occupy Wall Street. A lot of these folks who somehow think money grows on trees and they're entitled to it, and they don't understand how wealth is produced in this country. Yeah, see, the Occupy Wall Street types don't know how to produce wealth. They think you work hard, save, and then you have a good life. These people are idiots living in a fantasy land known as the past. Sure. Okay. They don't know you manipulate the market and then leverage what you've bet against while having your investors bet on the thing that you know is going to go down. Yes, exactly. Yes, what you're saying, Paul, is maybe a little bit of uh, fraud. Is what you're saying. What I'm saying, Jimmy, is let the bankers, they've got an Ivy League degree, let them bundle their derivatives in peace. I'm, w- I'm with you. The economy doesn't run on B.O., Jimmy. <laughs> what does the economy run on? Oil and the exploited labor of poor people. Ah, oh, there you go. Okay, that's right from Richard Martin. Okay, now here's Sean. Sean Hannity had a description. Oh, I can't wait to hear this one. Here's Sean Hannity's description of the Wall Street protesters. What have we seen here? Violence, <laughs> rape, arson, destruction of property, sex in public, masturbation in public, naked people, drugs, drug paraphernalia, you know, <laughs> anti-Americanism, anti-Semitism, anti-capitalism. You know, Listen. you know, Sean really makes it sound more fun than it really is. <laughs> <laughs> he really, I mean, is that, is that his list of complaints about Occupy Wall Street or just a list of stuff Sean jerked off to? <laughs> is there anything more disgusting than a bunch of dirty degenerates making a completely valid point? <laughs> I, I, if there is, I can't think of anything. You know, it sounds like Burning Man to me. It really, yeah, it's like he's describing Burning Man. Yeah, he is. Seeing that the police beat the Occupy Wall Street protesters has got to give the far right such a hard on because here are people protesting for rights for working people being beaten by members of a union. Yes. It's like they don't even have to lift a finger. <laughs> it's eating itself. It's like an M.C. Escher sketch, you know. Wow, that's a very that was that's was way to lay it down, Paul. That was nice. I didn't even think of it like that. You're right. And they're getting and here. There are pe- workers mm-hmm. protesting, getting beaten by union workers. Right. Well, it just I just have a hard time, you know. Like my dad was a cop, my grandfather was a cop, my older brother who was a cop. I don't understand how the cops. That people go, you know, it's just a few. They always like to go, it's just a few cops. You know, mm-hmm. most of the cops are good. Really, are all the cops in New York on sick leave? All the good ones? Because I don't see any of the. <laughs> Are all the good cops at UC Davis on sick leave? Are all the good cops in Oakland and Seattle? Are they all on sick leave? How about when that cop in New York was pepper spraying those women? All the other good cops just stood there, did nothing because they didn't want to lose their job. And I'm again, that's not a valid reason. That's not a valid reason for using violence against peaceful protesters because I, I, I might lose my job. Uh, or might lose the house. I have to see the house first before I can say whether or not. Because if it's a really nice house, good clean lines, post and beam ceiling, I got to say, go ahead and spray away. Uh, do you, you share built in kitchen? Do you, do you understand? Shake it up before you spray it. Breakfast nook. Do yeah. you? 
<laughs> do you do you do you share my uh, you know what I'm, what I'm trying to say, Steve, about the yes, cops? Because it's coast to coast, and it's like, wait a minute. You mean I thought the cops were supposed to be good, the good guys, and they're not. They're the bad guys. Maybe they only use the bad cops for the beatings. Maybe they specifically. We're gonna need some bad cops for this. Mm-hmm. Good cops, you know, stand down. We're gonna get mm-hmm. some bad cops here to spray some ladies. One, one thing I think everybody involved in this uh, has is a deep-rooted fear, and just each person's fear is about a different thing. The cops are afraid they're going to lose their jobs. You know, the the mayor is afraid he's going to lose control of the city. The protesters are afraid that this is never going to end, that that they're going to have no future. And and everybody's acting from that place of, of fear with with no trust for for each other. And let me just tell, let me just show how easy it is to corrupt a cop. They'll beat. Pregnant, they'll mace pregnant women, 84-year-old ladies, college students. Mm-hmm. They'll mace them all. They'll beat them with batons over their heads just so they can hang on to their $70,000 a year job. Now, imagine if you were a drug dealer or a mafioso guy who wanted to bribe one of those guys. How easy would it be, mm-hmm. right? If the, if you're willing to beat innocent people for eighty, seventy, eighty thousand $80,000 a year, wow, what else would you be willing to do for seventy or $80,000 a year? You'd be willing to do a lot of ugly stuff, wouldn't you? That's what I would think. All right, let's get back to the clips. So here's Newt Gingrich. Here, here's how Newt Gingrich, here's what he had to say about the Occupy Wall Street people, and it's really enlightened. All of the Occupy movement starts with the premise that we all owe them everything. They take over a public park they didn't pay for, to go nearby to use bathrooms they didn't pay for, to beg for food from places they don't want to pay for, to obstruct those who are going to work to pay the taxes to sustain the bathrooms and to sustain the park. Now, that is a pretty good symptom of how much the left has collapsed as a moral system in this country and why you need to reassert something as simple as saying to them, go get a job right after you take a bath. And that's a nice cheer at the mm-hmm. end too. So you know, and was Jane was John Wayne also at the at the <laughs> dais with him? It's nice to see that for all his experience in Congress, Newt Gingrich has the same understanding of the economy as Herman Cain. Mm-hmm. Isn't that nice? Yeah. For him to say that to the people unable to find employment in a depression, you know, a Wall Street lobbyist and crack up like Newt Gingrich says, "Get a job." Oh boy, Newt, that's a funny one, isn't it? Seeing that your job was making sure that the people who ruined the economy and rigged the game so that they received taxpayer-funded welfare when they went bankrupt and everyone else lost their jobs, houses, and retirement. Ha <laughs> ha, hella funny, Newt. Really, not quite as hilarious as the time you punked your wife by serving her divorce papers in front of your kids in a hospital room where she, where she was recovering from cancer surgery, but still is pretty funny. <laughs> he still, is a witty man. He is yeah. witty. He doesn't. Yeah. He never knows when to stop yeah. with the goofing and the shenanigans, right? He is funny. Yeah, and he just, you know, those people need to pick themselves up by their bootstraps, roll up their sleeves, and become lobbyists, just like Newt. Yep, that's all it would take. That's us. What else would you need? People are looking for jobs. They're protesting because they want jobs. Right. And Newt King says, get a job. Well, we're protesting for a job. Why don't you get a job? I'm protesting. And that's basically what I do on Facebook all day. Yes. Yeah, he's he's, he's really, the only thing left for him to say is, I know you are. What am I? (laughs) No kidding. Real kidding. All right, let's, you know what? I'm going to get to, uh, oh, we got a little time here. So let's get to our next clip here. So you know they're in trouble 
when uh, when Bill O'Reilly because this because all this is is the the Occupy Wall Street people are actually making an impact. Mm-hmm. They're having an effect on our consciousness. They're having an effect on the political dialogue. They're having an effect on the political process. They're having an effect in our society, and you can tell because if they weren't, they wouldn't care about them. And here's when you know they're really making an effect because Bill O'Reilly says this about them. So the Occupy Wall Street movement is dead, finished (laughs) as a legitimate political force in this country. And that's a good thing. Okay, so that's it. I guess it's all Mm. over. (laughs) And again, that is what is so valuable about Fox News is any news outlet can tell you what happened. Fox is willing to tell you what they think is going to happen. (laughs) What it wants desperately to happen. Always good journalism. What they want to have happen. Right. Yeah. Okay. The police brutality, it is shocking, right? Is it does it shock you? Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't shock me. It saddens me. Yeah. I'm surprised by it. I did not expect it. You thought it went out with the 60s and 70s? I thought that once the cops saw video of themselves doing all that horrible stuff in the 60s, that that made an impression. Or Rodney King. Or Rodney. Yeah, all that stuff. I thought, no, they're more than ever. More than ever. It's just, it's, it's like, you know what? I think it's it kind is of terrorism thing. has made all, uh, make uh, police forces become like these paramilitary forces. Right. They're not no longer community policing. They're like, they're all out, they're all out looking for Al Qaeda. So they're all, somehow they, they all have to have a helmet, a riot out gear on. They all have to be ready because anybody could be a terrorist, you know? That's what I think it is. It's like, because, the Department of Homeland Security actually says that peaceful protesting is to be considered a low level of terrorism. Mm-hmm. Well, I can gar- guarantee you in the next 10 years in this country, the most damage that to be done to it will be by people that carry briefcases. Yes, and no, it has not, been. Not acoustic guitars and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, it's the yeah. I've I've said it for uh, you know for a couple of uh, months now. It's, uh, it's the people with with no money and no power. They're the ones who've been screwing things up. Yeah. If there was just a way that the people with money and power could insulate themselves from the powerless. Yeah. Uh, but you know what they should be afraid of is that there's a growing number of people who have nothing to lose. Yes. And you can never win against people that have nothing to lose. Never. When police dragged a family's belongings into the street, quote, some of us would kick ash cans and create a general ruckus. This would divert the marshal and others of us would help the families put the furniture back up. It was a war of attrition. Another account from the same time frame, same town, quote, we formed a squad. Someone would come in and say somebody was put out in the street, and so we would call this one, call that one, and say, how would you like to go help these people? We did that. Boys, girls, elderly men, young men, whoever. You just called somebody and said... Hey, let's put the furniture back in. 
We talk about the Great Depression, not our own Great Recession, but the Great Depression of our grandparents and our great-grandparents' day. We tend to talk about hobos and Hoover, Hoovervilles, people kicked out of their ordinary lives and roaming the countryside looking for work, lining up at soup kitchens or setting up camp in shacks made out of whatever spare wood or cast-off tin they could find. In towns they called Hooverville after President Herbert Hoover, and it was not meant to be a compliment. But Americans who lived through the Great Depression did not necessarily move out of their houses or apartments quietly just because the landlord showed up and said they had to go. Some of them, a lot of them it turns out, stood their ground with help from their neighbors. The Americans of the Great Depression organized what became known as eviction defense, like the people putting the furniture back in. I just quoted a moment ago from Brooklyn. Sometimes eviction resistance turned into eviction riots. They rioted in Chicago in August 1931. At least three protesters were killed there after 60,000 people marched against evictions. They rioted in the Bronx in 1932 after families went on rent strike over prices they could no longer afford. They rioted in Cleveland after a bank foreclosed on John and Sophie Sparenga, and the county sheriff kicked them out with their four children. In Cleveland, the local Small Home and Landowners Federation spread the alarm up and down the neighborhood street. Thousands of people showed up, thousands of people, to defend the Sparenga family. Quote, as police arrived, they were greeted by taunts, jeers, and volleys of rocks, bricks, sticks, and even kitchen utensils. The officers responded with nightsticks, tear gas, and fire hoses. Reporter James Steele filed this account in The Nation in 1933. Quote, this is a crowd that won't scatter, a crowd that is strangely grim and determined. They were determined to defend that family in 1933, the depth of the Great Depression. Now, Cleveland is defending families again in Cleveland in 2011, not by throwing bricks and sticks and soup ladles, but by doing this. In Cleveland, they are pitching tents in the yards of a single mother with two kids and the sheriff on the way. If you're coming for her, you're coming for us. That's been the message from Occupy Cleveland. They have been wonderful, actually. Um keeping me company last, since last night when they started piling in and uh, helping me get the place cleaned up a little more and organized so I can pack. You know, a lot of the people you've probably heard on the news have sort of been asking what the Occupy, uh, whatever city you want to put in, they, they don't really know what they stand for. Has this told you, how has this told you more about what they, they stand They stand up for the little guy. Definitely. This is Main Street. Wall Street can take care of itself. Main Street needs everybody. When they came and offered their help, what did you think? I thought, hey, it sounds like a crazy harebrained scheme. Let's try it. What the heck? I don't have anything more to lose. Occupy Elizabeth Summers' backyard in Cleveland seems to have had an effect. She got a 30-day stay on her eviction, enough time to work out a deal with the bank or maybe a plan B, enough time that she and her kids didn't have to see their stuff hauled out into the street. Main Street turned out for her. Just months into the Great Recession, this nation bailed out the banks, and Ali Ali all come free, no rules financial sector, had turned people's houses or mortgages into casino chips, which Wall Street made a ton of money trading amongst themselves before the whole thing blew up. Wall Street blew up, which blew up the whole economy. Millions of Americans were left without jobs and with these con artist mortgages that they couldn't pay. 
The banks, they got bailed out, but the people did not. If you're broke, just ask Elizabeth Summerer. If you're broke, there is very little help. In October alone, there were hundreds of thousands of foreclosures in this country. The banks seizing people's homes and throwing them out into the street. This conflagration in the economy started in 2008, but the foreclosure rate in this country is still rising. Technically, the Great Recession may not even be a recession anymore, but families are still having their possessions dragged to the curb. Good luck, and right this way to the homeless shelter. Is that kind of treatment worth defending against? Is it worth coming to the defense of your neighbors now in 2011, just as people thought it was in 1931 and 1932 and 1933 and on and on? That's becoming the question now among the evolving 99% movement around the country. Ask the family in Atlanta, where the Occupy Atlanta protesters intervened in an eviction last month. Occupy Atlanta got kicked out of its downtown encampment, so they decided that instead they'd move to try to save a police officer's home. Ask the family in Rochester, New York, which almost lost their home to a foreclosure mill, to the foreclosure mill, incidentally, where the employees dressed up as families being kicked out of their homes as their costumes for the company Halloween party last year. That firm was trying to move in on a Rochester family to kick them out of their home before a group of experienced eviction defenders and new occupiers showed up to help them hold their ground. Ask the families in Minneapolis, where occupiers have shown up with a bullhorn and tents and taken direct action. Occupy has really made that leap and said uh, it's time for us to mobilize actions off of the plaza um, and really enter Main Street in really a dramatic way. Mm-hmm. And so this is the first time that they've they've said, you know, let's address real problems that real people are dealing with and see if we can help be a, a part of the solution. As fall set in, protesters from Occupy Wall Street around the country, particularly around the colder parts of the country, the 99 percenters wondered if they could make it through the winter with maybe Quonset huts or cold weather survival gear. Then they wondered where they would go, how they would continue to occupy if police departments kept driving them away from public squares. Did occupying, showing up and staying put in a public space, was that fundamental to the ongoing effectiveness of the movement? And if it is fundamental, then how would they be able to keep occupying and where? It turns out maybe that the next incarnation of Occupy was already taking hold with the foreclosure defenses in Atlanta and Cleveland and Minneapolis and Rochester. Justin Elliott reporting at Salon.com this week that a new campaign, Occupy Our Homes, kicks off on Tuesday with protesters in 20 cities. The 99 percenters say they will show up at foreclosure auctions and at homes that are at risk of foreclosure. Folks who have not yet been part of resisting an eviction peacefully will get a chance to see how it's done. They will learn from people who've already done it and then teach other people to do it too. They're asking people to sign a pledge that says, quote, I will resist any attempt by the bank to take my home. If they come to foreclose, I will not go. This Occupy Wall Street movement is now truly a movement to occupy everywhere. It is not going away. Necessity is the mother of invention and the coming of winter and the crackdowns from the police around the country have forced this movement into a new evolution. Um, as, as Scott Olson, the Marine who had his skull fractured at Occupy Oakland, said on this show last night, the movement is evolving, the movement is adapting, and that's a good thing. If the reports we track every day from the movement itself and local press reports are any indication, this movement is spreading, too, geographically spreading, in occupations small and fluid and seemingly too adaptable and too numerous for anybody to shut down altogether. As of this upcoming week, there appears to be a concerted effort to move it into the neighborhoods where you can see it, where the crisis really lives still. We spend a lot of time on this show covering politics of the electoral variety. This is Politics 2. This is the real deal. There is a house in New Orleans. 
I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able. As anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Frank Luntz is the top Republican poster and strategist, uh, and he was at a, a Republican Governors Association in Florida, and he was telling them what are the different words and phrases that they have to use and the different things that they have to look out for. We now have that information, and we have his presentation, and it is awesome. Now, why? First thing he says, quote, I am so scared of this anti-Wall Street effort. I'm frightened to death. Oh, that's music to my ears. The top Republican strategist is saying he's scared to death of Occupy Wall Street. Why? Because he's polling on it. And the polling is saying, oh, the American people like that. Get a load of this. He says, they're having an impact on what the American people think of capitalism. Not only are they succeeding, they get into the core of capitalism. Look, I'm not even sure I believe that, but they're in a panic here. Listen to the next part of what he says. He says, whatever you do, avoid these phrases, income inequality and paying your fair share, because it's really resonating with the American people for the other side. We want to avoid that because we're the guys who create income inequality, right? So they're like, run for the hills when you hear those things. Don't talk about that because it's going to kill us. Uh, Then he says about capitalism, quote, I'm trying to get that word removed and we're replacing it with either economic freedom or free market. By the way, when Luntz says it, it's as good as gold. You will now see on your television sets Republicans ad nauseum talking about, quote, economic freedom and free market. Watch for it. It's going to happen. It's like clockwork. He continues, the public still prefers capitalism to socialism, but they think capitalism is immoral. And if we're seen as defenders of, quote, Wall Street, end quote, we've got a problem. And he knows that they've got a problem because that's exactly what they're doing. The whole point of the Republican Party is to protect the top, the rich, the 1%, as he's going to explain further uh, a little down here in his presentation. But look at what he's saying. It's, it's actually bigger than I suspected. Occupy Wall Street is working so well. Uh, the issue of income inequality is so large in the country that Americans, according to this top Republican strategist, are now beginning to turn against capitalism itself. That's an amazing fact. By the way, something that I'm not even in favor of. I I like capitalism. I think we just have to fix the system. There's huge problems with it, but it can be fixed. Now, when it gets to taxing the rich, he's like, find a hill and run for it. We don't talk about taxing the rich. You know why? Because the American people totally want to tax the rich. Listen to this quote. If you talk about raising taxes on the rich, if you talk about, uh, then what happens is the public responds favorably. He's like, don't do that. He says, but if you talk about government taking the money from hardworking Americans, the public says no. Taxing, the public will say yes. 
That is a Republican saying, basically, we have lost. The American people want to tax the rich. They want to raise taxes. So stop talking about that. That has been our talking point for the last 30 years. We're going to cut taxes. Now when we say that, we lose. So now we're going to change the dialogue. We're going to talk about economic freedom and how we... And taxes are no longer taxes, but they're taking money, not from the rich, but from hardworking Americans. you got to change the whole language because we've got an annihilation going on here for Republican messaging. This is a huge memo. He says about uh, the middle class, they cannot win if the fight is on hardworking taxpayers, referring to Democrats. He says, we can say we defend the middle class, and the public will say, I'm not sure about that. But defending hardworking taxpayers and Republicans have the advantage. Do you understand the relevance of that? He's saying don't even call them the middle class anymore. Because the minute you say middle class, American people think Republicans are against the middle class, Democrats are for the middle class. I'm telling you, man, I have never seen a more relevant secret political memo in my life. Thank God it got leaked. This is saying we can't even talk about the middle class anymore because it triggers in people's minds that we're against them. We have to switch the word to hardworking Americans, which, by the way, is also their code word for the rich, which is funny. He said, how about government spending? This is another huge loss for the Republicans. He says, quote, it's not about government spending. It's about waste. That's what makes people angry. In other words, if you say, hey, we got to cut government spending, now the polls are in. And they say, no, we don't. We don't think that's the problem. So they have to reframe it in, in terms of waste. By the way, if you really want to cut waste, you got to go to the Defense Department. That's where all the waste is, right? Now, of course, he wants to avoid that as well. He says, uh, when you're talking to somebody who is an occupier, somebody from Occupy Wall Street, now you would think Republicans, they punch them in the mouth. That's what they normally do, right? He's like, no, basically we've lost. So here's what you have to say instead. First off, here are the three words for you all. He's telling this to Republican governors. I get it. I get that you're angry, I get that you've seen inequality, I get that you want to fix the system. So he's saying, I acknowledge what you're saying is true because I've seen the polls and I can't fight against it. So instead what I'm going to have to do is pretend that I'm on your side. So now he gives the governors all the terminology that while they're protecting the rich, they can pretend to be on their side. So instead of fighting Occupy Wall Street, he says, oh, tell them, oh, I get it, man, economic injustice, that's terrible. Now. Well, so what do you uh, want to call the rich instead? Because there's just no way of defending them if you look at the polls. He says, uh, here are the words that you need to change and put in place of rich, basically. Small business owners, job creators. Now, we've seen that before. They're already using those. Luntz came up with those earlier. But you never call them the rich. You never call them the top bracket. Small business owners, job creators, and then two others have been added to the list, entrepreneurs and innovators. (laughs) Okay, so those are the new code words for the rich. So that, of course, they, the Republicans can do their main job, which is to protect the rich. And then when you talk about Wall Street, he's like, oh, we're losing on that, right? So instead, redirect them to hating uh, Washington instead. Quote, you shouldn't be occupying Wall Street. You should be occupying Washington. To, this is what we were supposed to tell the occupiers. You should occupy the White House because it's the policies over the past few years that's been causing this problem. In other words, take your legitimate anger, which we can no longer fight, and make sure you're misdirected towards uh, Democrats and the White House when, in fact, Wall Street's causing the problem. It's so detailed that he said he's got even guidelines for how to help uh, protect the bonuses of the Wall Street fat cats. You shouldn't call them bonuses anymore. You should call them pay for performance because that polls better. 
This memo is gold. It is basically an admission that Republicans are completely for the rich. It's an outline of how they can protect the rich by using chicanery and the interesting and different terminology. And number three, most importantly, for the first time, you've got the biggest Republican pollster and strategist saying, no Moss, we've lost on policy. We have to do a complete redirection on language, otherwise we're gonna get hammered including saying that we're totally with Occupy Wall Street and we get the economic inequality. I did not expect this victory to be this complete. I'm startled by that. Now understand, the politicians have not reacted to it yet. So you're not seeing that victory yet on your television screens. You're not seeing it in the media. You're not even seeing it from the Republican talking heads yet, right? But Luntz is the first person to do it. He's the one that says, gets the snowball rolling. They have, they're just getting these memos. They're just getting these polls. So now you'll probably begin to see that new direction for the Republicans, which of course, as the memo outlines, is a, another misdirection to get to their ultimate objective, which is to protect the rich. Uh, that's amazing, man. And you know what it shows you? There is a brewing, not anger, rage in the country about this inequality, about how the system's been fixed by the Wall Street guys and the top 1%. The American people get it no matter how much Washington and the media tried to cover it up. Two weeks ago, we had uh, Sean Hannity saying this. What have we seen here? Violence, rape, arson, destruction of property, sex in public, masturbation in public, naked people, drugs, drug paraphernalia, you know, anti-Americanism, anti-Semitism, anti-capitalism. Okay, Sean, you forgot. um, You know what? No, you got them all. I'm sorry. (laughs) You got them all. It makes it sound better than it actually was. Compound up in. uh... Yeah, Yeah, it sounds sounds like he's (laughs) describing the Kennedy compounds at Labor Day festivities. Yeah, Yeah. It really does. Yeah, and he does make it sound more fun than it actually is. Yes. That's for sure. It it's wasn't not just people fun. standing around in the cold feeling miserable. Right. It's a, right. Uh, so, and then last week, uh, Bill O'Reilly said this about the movement. So the Occupy Wall Street movement is dead, finished as a legitimate political force in this country. And that's a good thing. Okay, so, and Bill would know because he's never been part of a legitimate political force in his entire career. <laughs> does he even go outside? So here, so here's, I know. So here's this week. I, I think he, there's just like a tunnel from his house to the Fox Studios. Yeah, and then the Chivas is just kind of <laughs> ship brought in magically. Like, <laughs> so here's Frank Luntz. Now we all know who Frank Luntz is. Frank Luntz is the guy, he's a, he's the right wing pollster. And what he's famous for is getting people to take words and use different words in their place. 
Like, for instance, he was the one who suggested uh, that the Republicans don't refer to global warming as global warming, but they refer to it as climate change, right? He's all about that. Uh, you don't think about the words, you feel about words. So if you change the word about what you're talking about, it will change the debate. And it does. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, it, and it does change the debate. So and that, that's, by the way, that's called sophistry. That's called sophistry. And yes. back in back in Greece, they hated the sophists for this very reason. Oh, because really? They obscured the truth. Wow! They despised them. You and know, I didn't. You know, I don't know. I don't know much about Greek history. I only I speak a little Greek. Only two words: <laughs> ouch <laughs> and relax. <laughs> Speaking of Sandusky, <laughs> get back to that. Okay, so here's Frank Lutz. So here's Frank Lutz. It's very Orwellian what he does. He takes out any negative connotations from words and puts it. Use another word that doesn't have any negative connotations. Okay, so here's so here's Frank Lutz talking about Occupy Wall Street. Now we heard Sean Hannity. We heard Bill O'Reilly. Here's last. Last week, this list past week of uh, Frank Luntz talking about Occupy Wall Street. I'm so scared of this anti-Wall Street effort. I'm frightened to death. Okay, they should occupy a job and take a bath. I get that joke. <laughs> but man, they're having an impact on what the American people think of capitalism. And so I'm trying to get that word removed and replace it with either economic freedom or free market. So yeah. first Capitalism of all, removed. first of all, it's amazing that he's admitting that the Occupy Wall Street people, after Bill O'Reilly last week declared them dead, uh, that they're having an amazing impact and he's afraid of them. So at least he's admitting like all those. See, what Sean Hannity does and what Bill O'Reilly does and what all those other people do is a manifestation of their fear. But what he's doing is just saying, hey, I'm admitting, afraid of these guys. Yeah. Admitting <laughs> I, the fear. They're actually winning. And yeah. uh, and I'm, I'm going to admit it. And here's how I'm going to beat them. I'm going to switch the words around. <laughs> I'm going right. to switch the words around. So let's play this back again, and we'll break it down. Ready? I'm so scared of this anti-Wall Street effort. And I know you can't see the video clip, but he if you looked at his face, he is scared. I mean, I, I haven't seen that look on Frank Luntz's face since his old fraternity started accepting minorities. <laughs> <laughs> or that time the pizza guy forgot the extra crazy bread. Because <laughs> he's kind of a tubby. I don't know if you noticed. Frank's been putting the weight on lately. He's really let himself go. He's making Newt Gingrich look in shape. you got to watch out. Okay, so here, we'll play a little bit more of that. I'm frightened to death. Yeah, more like fattened to death. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, am I right? Come on. He's, that's he's, why he's eating so much. He's scared. That's right. He's giving Chris Christie. He's in that camp. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you, and if you ever need an example of fear-mongering, this is it. I'm big, fat, rich, tough guy with so many Fortune 500 connections. I never need fear anything again. But even I'm afraid of these scary Occupy Wall Street people, which means that all you, the common man, should also be more frightened. That's what he's saying. That's what he's basically saying. Um, okay, let's, keep, let's go back to the clip. Okay, they should occupy a job and take a bath. I get that joke. <laughs> yes, he gets that joke because it's an ad hominem attack that dismisses an entire nationwide movement, right, in less than one sentence. And you might say, hey, you just called him a fat guy. Yes, but that's because I was dismissing him as a human being, not his argument. Okay, that's different. Good, point. Good distinction. And but to be fair, his argument does come from a big fat fatty. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
a pasty white fatty. Seriously, I'm pretty sure he heard that joke at a Republican rib breakfast. Okay. <laughs> Gingrich said that. Go yeah. to the bathroom and take whatever. Take a it, bath. It might have been nice if between helpings at the mashed potato bar, he said to one of his cronies, "Hey, that joke is ironic because uh, maybe if we hadn't wiped out all those jobs along with the trillions of dollars, there wouldn't be an actual Occupy movement." <laughs> Man, that joke has so many layers. Just like that taco dip. <laughs> okay, let's go back to the clip, play a little bit more. But man, they're having an impact on what the American people think of capitalism. And so I'm trying to get that word removed and replace it with either economic freedom or free market. Yeah, no, they're not having an effect on how people think about capitalism. The, 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 I'm, I'm pretty sure capitalism... Did that all by itself recently, right? What the protesters are doing, they're just engendering that dissatisfaction by standing in places, just standing there. Mm -hmm. How dare they? How dare they? <laughs> and not taking a bath. You know, and him saying that they're having an impact on what the American people think of capitalism, so he's trying hard to get that word replaced with either economic freedom or free market. So it's not capitalism anymore. Yeah. It's economic freedom, Robert. Sure, I feel free. It's Who made him in charge of getting rid of the word capitalism or getting rid of any word? I don't understand that. Well, because then, because then the people, everybody on the right wing, will start repeating it. So then right. it gets into. So then the media starts repeating it, and then it just becomes part of our lexicon, right. like enhanced interrogation techniques, which it's really torture. Right. There's no such term as enhanced. They just made that up. So right. that's another one of those things, right? Yeah. Free, freedom fries. Yeah, know. free. Yeah, yeah. So that would be a perfect example of that Orwellian or, kind or, of speak. Yeah. yeah, they're trying to rename. Rename capitalism yeah. so it won't have any con any negative connotations. Hey, that's not too Orwellian, is it? Why don't we also put rat cage masks on the faces of our political enemies while we're at it? You ever notice that it's never a good thing that needs to be renamed, right? right. No one's looking for a less loaded term for puppies. <laughs> okay, and yet jackwads like this have made a, a a good living throughout the 20th century sanitizing the language by renaming bombs anti-personnel devices or prison camps detention centers and crappy mortgages that should never have been issued become toxic assets. I got to assume Frank Luntz's title at Fox News was recently redesignated from Big Fat Liar to Corpulent Misinformation Manager. <laughs> Okay, what what do you think is the best thing of the thing about the show that is best and most appealing to to somebody who listens or watches? Um, let's see. You see, I would have to think about that. <laughs> is, this, is this the that hard of a question? Is it that is. What? It is a hard question. It's like, what is the meaning of life? You can't just uh, you can't just throw something out there. All right. Well, you know what? None of us know what the, what what's good about this show. What well, we know is have... we have a show. We know the show exists. Pretty much. Well, if that doesn't make you curious. I don't know what will. Check out the David Pakman show at davidpakman.com. For the 80% of you who listen to this program via the enhanced version of the show, which supports chapter markers, the following clip will include visual elements. A moment of clarity from LeeCamp.net. The media wants to know, is Occupy Wall Street really having any effect no, it couldn't possibly be that the colossal power of the wealthy is being challenged by regular Americans. That's so un-American. 
Well, here's the proof that Occupy Wall Street is having an effect. It comes from Frank Luntz, the biggest Republican strategist out there. This is a photo of him. This is the photo his PR people send out. It looks like that first guy ate Frank Luntz. Anyway, Luntz is responsible for such Orwellian tongue lashings as switching global warming to climate change because it sounded softer and cuddlier. Climate change sounds like something you can fix by rolling up the sleeves of your Snuggie. He changed the estate tax to the death tax. He came up with calling decreased pollution regulation the Clear Skies Initiative. I guess because it, it would be more clear that the skies are filled with nasty Say Clear Skies Initiative to yourself right now. Doesn't it taste a little like bull**** Like, you, you, you can taste it. Well, anyway, last week, Luntz was at a closed-door meeting of the Republican Governors Association. You know, to tell them not to say child labor anymore, but instead replace it with nine-to-five child industrious behavior training. And he was asked about Occupy Wall Street. He said, and I quote, I'm scared to death of this anti-Wall Street effort. This is a guy who thinks global warming is a walk in a park. This is a guy who thinks loads of pollution in our skies is just a way to make better sunsets. So he's not scared easily, but he's scared to death of Occupy Wall Street. He then gave his audience advice on how to lie to the American public. He said, if we're seen as defenders of Wall Street, we have a problem. He told the audience to pretend to empathize with protesters. He suggested they say, I get it a lot. So soon we're going to see all the Republicans going, you're all dirty, hippie, drug addicts, but I feel your pain. I get it. He also told the audience not to mention the middle class. I assume this is because if you mention the middle class, you remind people that there once was one. The GOP wants the thought of the middle class to disappear like a serial murderer burning the shoes of its victims, like the Chinese government ripping the Tiananmen Square pages out of the history books, like Forrest Whitaker clawing at the Battlefield Earth entry on his IMDb page. Luntz concluded by telling the crowd to never again refer to taxing the rich. Instead, call it taking from the rich, he said. You're damn right we want to take from the rich. We want to take back our futures. We want to take back the money they stole in a series of Wall Street scams built from lies, stacked on deceit, fabricated from forgeries, made out of bull that was out of the mouths of con artists. How about we play some of their word games. Stop calling it taxing the rich. Call it taking back our stolen property. Don't call it foreclosing on homes. Foreclosing is a banker's term designed to desensitize it. Call it stealing someone's home. Don't use the word bonuses. Replace it with end-of-the-year blood money. And stop referring to it as a bailout. Refer to it as a heist. And for all of you fighting out there, just remember, these rich con artists are now saying in closed-door meetings that they're scared to death of Occupy Wall Street. As Charlie Sheen would say, we're winning. Jay, uh, this is Casey from Michigan. I've been listening to your show now for about six weeks. I gotta say, I love it. 
Um, and what inspired me to call was the last episode where you had Jeff from Florida, the police officer, really giving a very eye-opening, a very eye-opening account of what it is to be a police officer in the Occupy movement. And I got to say, I was very touched and very uh, moved by it. And it, made, it moved me to kind of share my own experiences with the situation that we're in. Um, I work at a retail store. I am an assistant manager for a department store. And as we are into the holiday season, as you can imagine, I do a lot of hiring this time of year. And I got into an argument, or let's say a heated discussion with somebody via Facebook a couple weeks back who was criticizing the Occupy movement. He was, he, he, he's very much a liberal, but he was very much criticizing the Occupy movement, saying, you know, they're, they're taking up space and they're, you know, they're just a bunch of bums out of the streets who don't know what they're doing. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of jobs out there was basically his final argument. And I had to explain to him uh, through a series of Facebook comments back and forth that, you know, I work in retail. I am an assistant manager. I hire people for the holidays. And there is nothing more discouraging than to watch somebody who has been with a company for 30 years get laid off for whatever reason they were laid off and have to come to a store like mine, which I take pride in what I do, but it's like mine due to whatever company reasons there may be and have to pay them a minimum wage of 740 per hour, uh, regardless of how much skill they have had in their previous environment. So the ultimate reason of, of you know, why I argued with him and, um, and tried to explain to him what was that, you know, yes, there are jobs out there. There are plenty of minimum wage paying jobs out there, but to pay a, a job that actually pay a living wage there's not many out there. And, you know, I watch these people, these people with, you know, loads of experience come in, and I have to insult them by saying, okay, you know what, you've got some experience. I can pay you $8 an hour instead of seven fifty or seven forty. That's a problem, and that's what this movement is about. And no, while I'm not out there with my picket sign and, and, and occupying a particular location, I stand right behind these people because something's got to change. And I just want to say that I really appreciate the show that you put on. I truly appreciate what you are doing. It gives me my dose of, of political socialism for the day, and it keeps me motivated to have those conversations with people. So keep it up. Thank you very much for letting me share my opinion on this, and uh, I'm sure you'll hear from me at some other point. Thanks, Jay. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. Chris Carpenter here. I uh, just finished the latest episode, and a beautiful voice of an old friend popped in, uh, Mr. Dave, Mr. Godless. And uh, so this message is kind of directed to him. Uh, I put it in email format, but I, I think it, it gets across a little better you know, coming directly from my voice. Sir, it is so fantastic to hear from you. Towards the end there, some some shit sort of hit the fan, and, and uh, I kind of worried about you a bit, and uh, it's it's just truly a blessing, truly, truly a blessing to uh, to hear your voice, sir. So um, I just wanted to tell you that probably the, the one thing that sticks in my mind, which is quite possibly one of the funniest things I think I've ever heard in my entire life, was uh, you're talking about Mr. George W. Bush and his war on terror. And uh, and you said, yeah, you know, I don't know why this guy has to use the Latin. I I, I don't know why. Why can't he just say Earth? <laughs> and I'll tell you that uh, that'll that'll stick with me probably till the day I die. Funniest, one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Um, thank you, sir. Thank you for your service everywhere. And uh, and watch your six. 
Jay. This is April calling from Toronto. Um, I was, I'm a big fan of the show, and I was really excited to see that there was going to be another episode about feminism. I'm just really disappointed that in the entire episode, there was really only one woman's voice heard, excluding the uh, Onion clip. Um, there are a lot of women talking about politics these days, especially issues in feminism, and it'd be really great if you could promote their voices as well. All right, have a good day. Bye. Jay, this is Dave from Olympia, Washington. Uh, just finished listening to your most recent episode. There was a caller at the end who was responding to the pepper spray incident at UC Davis and you know, felt this, this need that somebody should have done something. Somebody should have been there to take away the pepper spray or, or tackle or throw something at the officer and you know, to stop this horrible thing from happening. And you know, that would have been a good thing or a bad thing for the movement. A couple of thoughts. First of all, the, the appropriate way for that to have been stopped would be another police officer. They're a professional organization. They have a responsibility to police their own ranks, maintain uh, obeying the law, maintain a code of conduct. And when someone within your organization so clearly steps over the line, you have an obligation to step in and correct that. In some ways, that's an indictment of the entire, um, every police officer who was there for not immediately stepping in and preventing the incident from happening. Secondly, I think the protesters themselves had a phenomenal response, and I haven't seen much news coverage of the response on the college campus to the pepper spray event. But some of the longer uh, YouTube clips that you know go on mm, six, seven, eight minutes past the pepper spray incident. There is a, a mob rush. There are tons of people crowding in on those officers, just shouting shame, 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 to the point where the officers are not arresting people, are not putting people in cuffs, dragging them off. They're circled up, uh, riot face shields down, batons held in a defensive position, in a circle, in a knot. As, as the protesters, you see, you know, 50, 100 cell phone cameras in the air taking pictures of them, and there's fear on the officers' faces. And then you hear in the back a call for a mic check, and the people's mic tells the officers that they can leave campus. Uh, there'll be no violence. They'll be allowed to leave. They are invited to leave now. And a porter opens up to the crowd, and the police exit. And uh, the, the atrocity of the pepper spray, I mean, just made me feel sick. But when I saw the... The nonviolent power, the reaction, the response that faced down the violence and then made the police leave, allowed them to leave without a riot or violent incident. Oh, that felt so good. I was just like, yes, that is the power that Occupy Wall Street has. I wish that part of the story got more coverage, but your caller's comment brought it back to mind that you know there are other ways to stop that other than kind of in the moment stopping the actual atrocity from happening. Once again, Jay, you do a marvelous job. Thank you for everything you do. Keep on, keep it on. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So, this is it. Like, this is the answer to the question, what is the point of Occupy Wall Street? 
to anyone who has asked you that question, you now have the ammunition to fire back. You can either remember what you heard in this show, or you have three really solid clips to choose from. The Young Turks, The Jimmy Dore Show, and Lee Camp. Take your pick. Uh, send whichever one you want to the people you think uh, need to have that question answered. This is it. Like This is the evidence that uh, we're winning. That's why the show is titled what it is. So I'm glad now that we have empirical evidence that we're winning, we can move beyond that question and just get on to the, you know, slow, dirty business of continuing to win. Sounds like a plan to me. Also today, I just want to mention how great I thought uh, the voicemails were today. You know, really phenomenal collection. If you didn't hear those, go back. And I wanted to mention that uh, the the voicemail from Jeff that came in a few days ago, it was, play, it was played in the uh, feminism episode that came out recently, got great reviews from that and requests to have that put on YouTube so it could be shared individually. So I have done that. That is available in the show notes of the feminism episode, uh, you know, a couple shows back. It's also posted on facebook.com slash best of the left. You can find it there and share it. It's great insider perspective on Occupy Wall Street from a policeman's perspective. So check that out. And then uh, a couple of the voicemails from today's show, the, you know, the political ones uh, will, will definitely be posted as individual clips as well. So that's going to be it for today. I just want to thank a couple of members before I go. Uh, David G. not only signed up for a leftist yearly membership back on uh, February 18th of this year, but also contacted me directly and offered uh, like awesome discounts on great stuff through his job. Which reminded me, he's not the only one who's done that. I, I mean, I've been offered uh, like cardiology work. If, if, should I ever need that sort of thing uh, from listeners? So, so it got me thinking. You know, if you want to become a member of the show but can't afford for whatever reason, but you can get me a, a discount on something awesome uh, or or some sort of uh, service of some kind, man, let me know. I, I would take that in a heartbeat. Uh, you know, well, depending on what it was. <laughs> but anyways, uh, so David and uh, Rosemary also signed up for a leftist monthly membership uh, back on March 26th. So David G. and Rosemary S., thank you both very much. Of course, thanks also to all of the other members and donors who help keep the show going. I couldn't do it without you guys. Everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by helping spread the word of individual clips online through your social networks and uh, and elsewhere. Stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Just a fond farewell to a friend